welcome to the Preston Minster podcast. We want you to find your home, find your purpose and transform your city. Morning guys, it is so good to be here with you all. This is quite busy for an August Sunday. I was kind of expecting a, you know, a smaller congregation to kind of get my uh, preaching material. Um, but yeah, it's how good is it to sing again? Oh, it feels amazing, doesn't it? Um, yeah, just the, you know, you don't realize how much you've kind of missed something until it kind of, you get it back. Um, it's just so good. I'm going to start this morning with a, with a confession. I practiced this talk twice yesterday. Once it was 20 minutes, the next it was 45 minutes. So I am sincerely hoping on your behalf that it is more towards the 20 minute mark than the 45 minute mark. But if you need to text someone to take a roast chicken out, you know, out of the oven, please feel free to do so. So we're continuing in our series, we're looking at heroes of the faith. And uh, I've been thinking a little bit whilst I've you know, been kind of leading up to doing this talk and thinking about kind of heroes. I read this incredible story recently about a man, he's called Oleg Gordievsky. I don't know if anyone here has heard of him. He was a KGB colonel at the height of the Cold War. And he was the station chief in London. And he was sent to London to obviously spy on the kind of British government and you know, recruit other spies into the kind of KGB system. What the Russians didn't realize is actually that he had defected to MI6 sometime before when he was originally stationed in Denmark. And he was actually passing secrets the other way. It's not, um, you know, an understatement to say that this man completely changed the world. Uh, and if you read this book, you'll, you'll see exactly how. But um, it's just incredible. He actually managed to stop a nuclear war. He actually briefed the government on how to deal with the, you know, the new Russian governments. And it eventually, it led to the collapse of the Soviet Union. It is just absolutely incredible. And yet, it's so funny that probably most of us here have never heard of him. And it's a funny thing about heroes. They're often known for their impact on the world, but we often don't really know much about them themselves. And I think the same is true of Paul, who we'll be looking at today. Paul is known for being an early apostle in the church and writing a huge amount of the New Testament. He wrote, well, he's attributed 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. And he's known for some of the most epic passages of Scripture. If you've been to a wedding, you might, you know, recognize verses like, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, and so on, from his letter to the Corinthians. Or you might know from his letter to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, in that same letter to the Galatians, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the markers and the virtues that every Christian should exhibit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I could go on and on and on. All these verses, all these amazing texts that Paul has produced that have been world-changing. But today I want to look at Paul the man. What was he like? 
What can we learn from his life? Not just from what he's uh, you know, laid down in those texts, but what does his journey tell us? I'll ask a question. I don't know if, uh, if people know, but does anyone know where Paul was born? Guys, I'm, I'm running on pretty low sleep here. I feel like I need some energy from you guys back. Otherwise, it's going to be a long one. Paul, he was also known as Saul, was born in a place called Tarsus. That's in modern-day eastern Turkey. And uh, he, was, he was the son or a family member of tent makers. And he has been raised in his family trade, making tents in the city of Tarsus and selling them on the marketplaces there. But more significantly than being born into a family of tent makers, he was born into a family of Jews, of religious Jews. And he would have lived in the kind of Jewish quarter of Tarsus, a city of about 100,000 people. And he was probably in a community of about, you know, a few thousand Jews there. But even more significantly than that, he wasn't just a Jew and a religious Jew at that. He was a Pharisee. He was from a family of Pharisees. Now, if you're familiar with the kind of gospel message and the gospel stories, you'll probably think that Pharisees get a pretty bad rap, don't they? They're the guys who constantly oppose Jesus and make life difficult for him and are plotting against him. But actually, the goal of the Pharisees is not that different from the goal that we have as Christians. It's to see God established as king. It's to see an end to wickedness and corruption and evil. It's all kind of good intentions. But when you're living in a small community of religious Jews amongst a large, multicultural, multi-language city, it became much more about spying on people and seeing who's observing these kind of ancestral laws that we all need to follow. Who's going to the synagogue? Who's worshipping foreign idols? And it becomes more about moral policing than it does about creating a culture. So after being born and raised in Tarsus, Paul makes a decision. He's going to follow in his family's ways and he's going to go to Jerusalem and become a Pharisee. So he travels to Jerusalem and he enlists in the school of a rabbi who's going to teach him in the ways But actually, Paul's got something. He's got something that maybe the other students of this rabbi don't have. He has zeal. He has some frustrations. He sees evil and he knows it's wrong and he wants to do something about it. And so he hears about this sect, this group of people, and they're following a man called Jesus of Nazareth. And it makes him angry. And so we know from the book of Acts that Paul starts persecuting the early Christian church. In fact, when the first Christian is martyred, a man called Stephen, the persecutors drag him out of the streets and they throw him to the ground and they pass Paul their cloaks as they stone Stephen to death. Not long after this, Paul's life takes a dramatic turn. I'm sure we're all kind of familiar with the phrase, you know, the road to Damascus. It symbolizes a change in people's lives. And that is Paul's story. He's on the road to Damascus. 
And a light from heaven comes down and it blinds him and he falls on the floor. And he hears a voice. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And his response is, who are you? Who are you, Lord? And the voice replies, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. And from that point onwards, Paul's life completely changes. He goes and he's taken on by a group of Christians and he's taught about the life of Jesus. But this this revelation, this encounter with Jesus completely turns his life upside down. He quickly becomes a leader in the early Christian church. That passion and zeal he had actually for persecuting Christians gets turned into a passion and zeal for sharing the gospel with other people. He's desperate to communicate that message um, not only to the Jews in his life, but also the Gentiles, the non-Jews, people who may never even heard of the law and the, uh, the Old Testament and the Torah that the Jews would be familiar with, but for people who worshipped entirely other gods. It's from this point he goes on three major missionary journeys. Scholars agree that Paul will have traveled about 10,000 miles on foot on these journeys. That is the equivalent of walking from New York to Los Angeles four times. And on those journeys, he plants between 14 and 20 different churches and communities of faith that then go on and plant other churches until the whole of the Middle East at the time would have heard the gospel through Paul's network of churches that he planted. And you can imagine as he's going around, as he's meeting these uh, new followers of Jesus, as he's chatting to them in the streets, as he's taking his tent-making tools with him and setting up shop and having those conversations. He's also scribbling down these letters or he's standing, walking around, dictating them as a scribe writes them down. And those messages then passed on to the churches and then they're copied and then they're sent on to the next churches and they're encouragements and instructions and ways in which you can follow the way of Jesus. And it's instructions on how to be um, a Christian if you weren't born a Jew. It was instructions of how to be a Christian if you were born a Jew. It's, it's the collection of the most incredible writings. Aside from the Gospels, it is the writings that have disproportionately affected the world the most. It's undeniable. But Paul's journey wasn't a simple journey. It wasn't easy. In fact, I'm going to read directly from 1 Corinthians 11 where he Um, discusses some of the hardships that he's encounters along the way. And when he hears about some of the Corinthians, how they're boasting of what they've suffered, he responds like this. He says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, dangers in the cities, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. 
in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me for my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Paul's journey was marked by suffering. It was marked by hardship. It was marked by pain. And yet he kept going through it. Eventually, after all these church planting exploits and going all around Europe and the Middle East, Paul ended up going to Jerusalem where he was put on trial and sent to Rome where he lived the rest of his life under house arrest. One of the last letters that he wrote, if you go on the kind of timelines of Paul's life, uh, most, most kind of historians agree that this was one of his final letters uh, in to Timothy. And uh, Adra, cue to get the verse up. And this is a message to his protege, to Timothy, who is instructed and brought up in the faith and sent out to be a leader. And he writes him these words when he's under arrest. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is near. And it's the next part which is so important. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul was a man who achieved so much in his life. He went on these epic journeys. He planted these churches. He established these communities of faith. But surely... His greatest achievement is that he kept going despite all the hardships and the suffering that he faced. I think for us in this, you know, post kind of pandemic world in 2021, we need this message now more than we've ever needed it. We had the amazing privilege not too long ago, I think it was probably about a month or two ago, of baptizing seven people on one Sunday. And it was just incredible. It was just amazing to see what God is doing amongst uh, people coming to faith in this city. And now for them, as well as for us, this is their charge. Keep running the race. Keep fighting to the end. Keep the faith. Now, for every generation, for every kind of different culture or people, keeping the faith will have its own set of challenges. I just want to move on to something really practical now of how we as Preston Minister in the time we're living in uh, can keep the faith and keep running that race. So I've come up with a list of, of six different things. Again, for different generations, it will be uh, different, different obstacles that they face. But, you know, I feel like this is stuff that God's really speaking to me about and putting on my heart, and I hope to um, share it with you now. So I want to split this into three things to avoid and three things that we can actively do. So first thing to avoid, don't be colonized by culture. The culture at the minute is so 
divided and so oppressive and so dominant. I remember being at school and I used to talk to my parents about peer pressure and, you know, not necessarily having to do what other kids did. But now through the devices that we all carry in our pockets, we've got not just the pressure of the schoolroom or the, or the playground, but the pressure of the whole world on us 24 seven. The world and our culture is so desperate to divide, left or right, labor or conservative, Democrat or Republican, good or bad. And then we promote ourselves in a state of self-righteousness because we believe the right thing or have said something noble. I think as followers of Jesus, when we engage in that kind of behavior, in that kind of division, it's not the message of the gospel. And I think we need to avoid it at all costs. So number one, don't be colonized by culture. Number two, have a healthy skepticism for modern wisdom. I've got two examples of this. Number one, there is a belief at the moment that your individual pursuit of your personal happiness is the most important thing that you can put your life to. Let me tell you right now, that is not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is take up your cross and follow me. And don't get me wrong, I don't want you to be unhappy. I don't want anyone in this room to be in a miserable situation. But actually the Christian faith is all about finding joy in purpose and value and meaning and service of others in community, not in individualistic pursuit. Number three, and this is the final one of the things to avoid, don't let disappointments become disillusionment. If you've been knocking around this church for a little while or any church for that matter, one thing I can 100% guarantee you is that you will be disappointed at some point. I really hope the scale of that disappointment isn't too big, but it might be. When I was growing up, my, uh, my parents kind of came to faith in quite a radical way, and they had a group of friends, uh, quite a few different couples who all lived in the same neighborhood, and they all started going to church together. And one by one, they started dropping out. And now, pretty much none of them go to church. Many of them are divorced. Many of them don't speak to each other. We need to, as a community, we need to deal with our disappointments. We need to own them. We need to not lose faith just because we've experienced something difficult. So what can we do? What can we actively pursue to keep running the race? Number one is pursue growth and maturity. I think it's so easy, and this is part of the culture that we live in, to come to church with an almost kind of consumerist mindset. It's coming thinking, you know, it's almost like a form of entertainment. We sing some good songs and we listen to uh, someone speak on the stage. Actually, what we need to come is we need to come and say, I need to change. There's stuff in me that needs to change. I'm speaking to myself here. I need to change. We all do. We've all got stuff that needs to be burned away. Number two, we need to cling to community. How's that change come? 
We need to help each other change. We need to help each other grow. I think because we are a church plant who fairly quickly got a few numbers and, you know, it feels good, we need to not, um, you know, forget that we are not a mature church in many ways. Yes, we have people who've um, had a faith for a long time and are mature, but as a, as a community, we need to pursue that growth together. One of my heroes is a guy called Jamie Jones Buchanan. He was a, a rugby league player for Leeds Rhinos, greatest team on earth. And uh, he actually came to faith midway through his career. And almost every interview, he talks about the refining fire, which is obviously a very biblical image, and how his teammates, they had to be honest with each other and have hard conversations and say, um, and call each other out on stuff if they wish to achieve greatness as a team. My challenge to you guys today is, if you are someone who wants to mature and grow, I'm gonna challenge you to go to someone you trust, a friend, maybe a spouse, I don't know, and say to them, where do I need to change? What do I need to do or to stop doing to look more like Jesus? My last point, and this is where I'll kind of close, is we need to keep turning up. I know that's kind of a similar principle to, you know, don't be disappointed and disillusioned, but it's true, we need to keep turning up, we need to keep showing up, not just for ourselves, not just for our community, but for the sake of the gospel as well. You know, I was kind of looking into Paul's life and what he accomplished, and, you know, we've been obviously looking at the heroes of the faith, and what struck me is like, I'm not a hero of the faith. I couldn't do what these people have done. You know, when you think about Abraham and Peter and Paul and um, Mary and, you know, Mother Teresa and um, Spurgeon and Wesley, I, I've not got what these men and women have got. And what I felt really encouraged by is one of the churches that Paul planted in Philippi. The founding members of that church were a prison guard, a businesswoman, and a slave girl. Normal people with normal jobs, doing normal things. And he's writing this knowing that they're going to read it down the track. It might have been addressed to Timothy, but it would have been passed on. Keep running the race. And who knows, maybe, just maybe, the next hero of the faith, the next Wesley or the next Spurgeon or whoever, he's currently in our kids' groups. Maybe they're waiting to be invited to Alpha. Maybe they're in the younger youth. If we don't keep turning up, we'll never know. I'm going to pray to finish. Can we just get the band up at the same time? Father God, we thank you so much for the men and women who've gone before us. Thank you for the lives that they've led. Thank you for the examples that they've shown. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength and the courage to pursue you for our whole lives, that we would keep pursuing, running that race, that we would all keep the faith. I pray, Lord, you would help us as a community to grow and to change. And we commit ourselves to you fully. Amen. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening to the Preston Minster podcast. We'll see you again soon.